You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, fam, fam. Hi, guys. We are... Hey, guys. Hope you're doing well. We're doing good. We're doing great. It's it's November. Where's the time's flying by? But we have another fabulous guest um, that we were lucky to interview today. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we're changing it up, and we are so excited um, to bring in a film director, producer, and writer, author, um, Mr. Jeffrey Michael Bays. He has written several books that we mention on the show, but we are highlighting his book, Suspense with a Camera, A Filmmaker's Guide to Hitchcock's Techniques, and it is so, so good. Um, Tess and I love, as you guys know, psychological (laughs) thrillers and those suspense genres, but suspense isn't meant for just the horror thriller genres. It is a great tool to use across the board um, for your rom-coms even. So it's like what kind of brings up the the unknown and the questions you want answered so badly um, when you're watching a film. And great, we, we really get into it across the board mm-hmm. from what you're thinking about as you're writing, directing. And he gives some great definitions to things that I just can't, Put in words. Yeah. <laughs> so he like does a really great job of that. Yeah. And it's a really cool episode because we get um, not technical in the sense of like, this is the shot that you need to create this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's we put um, the objective steps together to create a subjective feeling, which I think is such a cool thing. And I love when there's an answer to like, how do I make this happen? How do I make the audience feel this way? You know, so it's it's going to be really helpful, especially for you beginner filmmakers who have some really cool ideas, but you don't necessarily know how to make them happen, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, I think it's it's really tangible and, like, gets you understanding what it is that you're going after objectively. So I love that you said that because that's exactly what he does it, 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 He in this interview. I think he puts into perspective what are we really after when we're trying to create suspense it's the tension you know things Mm -hmm. like that absolutely and I want to say a special shout out to Ken Lee who is the um, publisher of suspense with a camera because he is the one that reached out to us and connected us with Jeffrey so thank you so much Ken he also connected Mm -hmm. us with an upcoming guest that I'm not going to tell you who it is yet but we're really excited to have him on so (laughs) huge shout out and thank you to Ken and guys I really hope you enjoy this episode I think you're going to learn a lot we certainly did so without further ado Jeffrey Michael Bays the author of suspense with a camera
so I, Jeffrey, I loved your book and I wanted to have just a bit background on to you what led you to writing it and, and just share a little bit about you to our listeners. Okay, well, this is a topic that has kind of been an interest of mine for a very long time. Um, I was actually still in high school. I was a teenager, um, just happened to watch a Hitchcock film, wasn't expecting anything, uh, expected it to be one of these kind of boring old movies, you know, <laughs> yeah. as black and white movies, like <laughs> right? as a yep. 15 year old would, would say. Exactly. Um, and then once I started watching it, I realized that this is a little bit different. There's something different about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I was really uh, drawn into this movie in some way. Um, and as the movie kept going on, it was like this feeling of anticipation and this clarity, this hyper-present uh, feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, it, it was Rear Window, by the way, uh, oh, nice. one of Hitchcock's. Um, <laughs> I love Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, having gone through that experience of watching that and feeling those things that I'd never felt with any other movie, um, that intrigued me. And uh, that kind of started the the spark of interest. And so, um, you know, I, I just kept watching Hitchcock's films and over the years, um, somehow I, it kept coming back to me. I would post articles on the internet. Uh, <laughs> people were obsessed with what I was writing. And, uh, you know, I directed a film, Offing David, uh, which was sort of a an homage to Hitchcock's techniques. Um, mm. And so it just, it just kept coming back and I kept doing uh, documentary videos on YouTube and they kept getting hits. And so um, I started uh, on my first book, which has nothing to do with suspense <laughs> um, uh, between the scenes is about uh, scene transitions. Um, Ooh. That's yeah, really so it's, vital. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, so it's really the the art behind um, moving from one scene to the next, and all of the choices that you make as a director and as a writer. Um, you know, do you show the character moving uh, between the scenes? Do you show them reacting to what has just happened at the end of the first scene? Do you cut to something new in the second scene and make the audience guess about mm-hmm. what's coming next? Um, and how that ties into the first scene. Um, so that was my first book. And I went on a, you know, a kind of a speaking tour, uh, teaching workshops and, and uh, on that topic. And along the way, people were interested in, oh, you, you know about this Hitchcock thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you teach some of that as well? So that's kind of how that got started. And I, I started noticing that people were more interested in the suspense stuff yeah than the uh the other mm-hmm. things so so that's what kind of led to uh to that to suspense with a camera very so. cool um so let's talk about your first book first just a little bit and then we'll deep okay. dive into suspense with uh with a camera but um scene transitions is like it's one of those things that I I know personally, I don't really think about when you're like writing the script at first, you know, you kind of just like end every scene with a cut to or whatever. And then like you go back and really think about how can you make like, how can you put more meaning behind the, the switching the scenes, you know, because there's so many ways you can do it. And it's almost like a 
uh, subliminal thing, I think, to viewers a lot of the time that, you know, sometimes you have a really cool transition of like, there's, you know, a knife in somebody's hand in one scene, and then it fades into something else that had like, they're holding something else that I don't know, there's just really cool ways sometimes that I see it done. And I only really noticed those things because I'm a filmmaker. It wasn't something I noticed before when I was just a viewer. So it's really cool how big of a difference those things can make. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the uh, famous writers, uh, Stephen Gagan, um, which wrote, I think, a Steven Soderbergh film, um, uh, he said once that his process as a writer is to to start with the locations uh, before you even have a story, mm. um, just putting locations together. Um, and somehow the story kind of comes out of that. Um, mm -hmm. So that if you- It's great for independent film. <laughs> right. Start with your locations, keep it simple. <laughs> we always say yeah. that over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So for instance, if you have a scene in a desert that's really hot, mm -hmm. And then the next scene is in a kind of a blizzard, cold environment with snow and wind. Um, that sudden change between locations is going to evoke in the audience a feeling of um, that coldness uh, because it's contrasting to the to the heat from the previous scene. Yeah. So even though that you're not actually feeling that um, as you're watching the movie, you internalize it as the audience um, because of that uh, sudden contrast. It's a great tool um, to evoke emotion from your audience. If you you know have scenes that maybe aren't super dramatic or suspenseful or whatever like to still really evoke that feeling or emotion from your viewers right and and it's called binary oppositions so it's mm. kind of like a chessboard well it is a chessboard really <laughs> so that your your chess pieces are white and black mm -hmm. and you have the uh, opposing squares on the board that are white and black and so as you play chess um, you know that your piece you know can be attacked by another piece because of the color differences if if the chessboard was entirely white mm -hmm. and all of the pieces were white then you would have a really tough time keeping track of your pieces right um and actually strategizing the next move because all you're thinking about is okay which piece is mine <laughs> right um so so that contrast in the game of chess is essential um mm-hmm and would you say to and it's the same that, way in storytelling as well, right? Yeah. With the with the images, you're you're trying to find those contrasting moments to help you transition. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Contrasting moments, contrasting sounds, contrasting visuals, mm -hmm. anything in the scene that contrasts with the next scene is going to provoke that difference in the audience, and they'll start to internalize and, and start to make that comparison. Yeah, I I totally can see that and and I love that I think through both of these examples of transitions and suspense you're oftentimes putting yourself in the audience seat and just thinking about what they are probably internalizing in that moment to help carry that emotional journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, let's get into suspense now a little bit deeper. Okay. Um, so I love that, like, your whole um, 
I don't know if theory is what the word I want to use here, but your whole theory on this is, you know, it comes from Hitchcock because like you said, like, you know, when you were a teenager, you're like, ah, this is just an old movie, whatever. But like, there's something so special about Hitchcock and the way that he tells a story. And it's like, a lot of it is visual and a lot of it is, again, kind of like subliminal, I think, to the untrained eye, should we say, you know? Um, And it's like, there's some things that are more obvious, like the the zoom dolly shot in um, Vertigo, where it's, you know, like it's it's the camera's zooming in while it's coming out. So it's this really like uh, disorienting shot. Um, like that's something that's kind of become a classic shot when you need like that disorientation. Um, but there's a lot more subtle things, too, that really build the suspense and really create those emotions. So I think that that's really cool that that's where all of this comes from for for you originally. Yeah. And I think with Hitchcock, he started out in silent film uh, in the 1920s. So Mm, they didn't. That says a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So they had to find ways creatively to tell the story without sound and without interruptions from the, uh, you know, the title interruptions with the dialogue on the screen um so they found ways to to show what the character was thinking about just by using the camera um you know showing them looking off to the side and then cutting to what they're looking at and then cutting back to see the reaction and see them process what they've just seen and so in that simple construction visually uh you're telling a story but you're also involving the audience in that thought process that the character is having with no no words and you can keep doing that <laughs> yeah you can keep doing that rear window is is entirely that almost through the whole film he's looking out the window and then we cut back to his reaction to what he's seeing and uh and we're like oh i want to see yeah. it <laughs> yeah. yeah i um i want to take it back even more micro um jeffrey could you explain explain or summarize what suspense is for okay. our listeners like what is it exactly that emotion that we're trying to feel it's the anticipation of trying to see something or understand like what is going to happen next you know what i'm saying right that's um that's a big question and um i think a lot of people have kind of a um like a common understanding that it has something to do with anticipating or being uncertain about what the outcome is going to be so that we hope the good thing happens and we hope the bad thing doesn't happen. Uh, And Mm. the uncertainty about that is where the suspense comes from. But there's a, there's a, there's a problem with that theory, um, which uh, film theorists have called the paradox of suspense in that if you watch a movie the second time and you know, what's going to happen, like, for instance, in Psycho, if you know that uh, Norman Bates is the mother um, or, you know, that he's pretending to be the mother, mm-hmm. um, then somehow the second time you watch that movie, it's more suspenseful. So how is that really uncertainty? It's not. Yeah. Though, <laughs> so is suspense really uncertainty or is it something else? And so what um, film theorists have kind of uh, figured out is that it really goes back to instinct um, so that it's a human instinct uh, in the moment. Like you go back to the, uh, the days of the caveman 
um, in the, uh, you know, the African savanna mm -hmm. hiding from a tiger. <laughs> so you're, you're worried about, is the tiger going to see me? <laughs> you know, right. uh -huh. I'm hiding, I'm hiding from the tiger. I'm being extra quiet. Is he going to see me? Because if he does, <laughs> then it might be all over. Um, right. And it's that feeling of instinct. Uh -huh. um, the that, fight or flight in, you know, right. our basic instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very much um, in the, the way the brain processes it. It's very much um, like a live event. So mm -hmm. that when you're watching a suspense film, you feel it as if it's happening live. You forget that you're watching a movie. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the, the basic feeling that you're evoking as a director is those instincts. And so, yeah, that's, that's really the key, I think. I love that. And I, it, that's good. it's, um, it makes so much sense. And it's so interesting to see the way different people react to suspense. You know, I mean, some people are just anxious people and they do not like watching movies that make them more anxious, you know? And then there's other people like, I'm a person that when I go to like a haunted house, I'm just like looking around, a big smile on my face. I love it. I want somebody to jump out and scare me. Same way with movies. Like I want to be scared and I watch so many horror movies that it's tough to even get me with the jump scares a lot of the time. Like my ex-boyfriend made fun of me all the time. He's like, you didn't even blink. But, you know, I love that feeling of being scared and it's the same way with suspense like to have that build up and that anxiety i love that so it's cathartic it is yeah 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 that's like i don't want to be in a haunted house like no thank you I will, <laughs> like probably punch someone who jumps out in front of me but i love war like i mean i was having this debate because like with my boyfriend because i enjoy like sometimes more of the really scary or depressing like films and I was just trying to explain them it just gets me in my emotions my feels and lets me almost release it so some people actually just not yeah they're not like they might be more of the anxious type like hello but it can almost be like yes a sense of like for me it's cathartic or just helps me like have that emotional release and that's why I think we do enjoy the journey of suspense mm -hmm. or you know the thriller kind of films that I like too um we don't like want to murder people but like those <laughs> like mo those stories um it's the the emotional journey that you get to like kind of get like the enjoyment of getting scared or you know w watching that is it's yeah. really cool and something that Jeffrey you point out in your book that I really love is that um for our writers and you know filmmakers out there it's suspense is vital to any genre it doesn't have to be in the thriller horror sense yeah. um so i really love that you state state that um do you want to go further in on why that's like how and it could be applicable to other genres <laughs> that you know you wouldn't think like i need to focus on on this right um and that's what i say is that all stories need suspense and um that's because uh, when you do suspense in this way, you're really kind of teasing the audience and manipulating what they know and what they feel. And the audience enjoys that feeling yeah. of, oh, wow, this 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 film did something to me. That was kind of cool. Um, that 
is storytelling, right? That's like the very early days of storytelling around the campfire. Um, the, the master storyteller will manipulate the story and kind of tease you and keep you on the edge of your seat um, because that's fun, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so any story is going to be using that, even a romantic comedy. I used it in my book, the example of uh, uh, You've Got Mail, Tom Hanks uh -huh. and, and Meg Ryan. <laughs> That's a suspense movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because through the entire film, um, there's a secret that is almost uh, going to get out. And the suspense is, is it going to get out? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so, so yeah. no, that's these, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Rom-com, but it's really suspense mm -hmm. underneath the whole time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, that's So suspense doesn't need to be, you know, about the scary dark creepy kind of stuff yeah you know that's more of a genre type of thing or a stylistic choice mm -hmm. but yeah I mean Hitchcock himself was all about putting his suspense out into the daylight you know put it out into the sunshine um the famous crop duster scene in uh, North by Northwest it is um it's out in the in the middle of a field with uh nothing it's yeah. a flat field <laughs> and I need to watch that. I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, it's it, the suspense is that he's in this field waiting on somebody to show up um, on this highway. So these cars keep going by and he's thinking, is that the car or is this the car? Who, mm. you know, when is this car going to come that, that, you know, this person I'm supposed to meet. And then all of a sudden this airplane comes along this crop duster and starts attacking him, <laughs> starts diving <laughs> at him. Oh my God. <laughs> That's like unexpected too. Right. I mean, I wouldn't right. think of that. <laughs> oh, that sounds very, yes, Hitchcock. Yeah. So he, yeah. he's developed this suspense in an empty field with no apparent threat. And then all of a sudden, okay. That's See, weird. I'm scared of those windmills. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that, yeah. driving by those and on the way to Palm Springs, always. Or Vegas, I'm like... <laughs> I'm scared those things are going to take a life of its own. Um, so I, I get it. And there's something about, again, like using your elements, being out in the wide, wide openness, mm -hmm. like almost can be even more scary. Like I find that he finds even the daylight, those those other like um, mundane kind of places that we can find ourselves in, like rear window, apartment housing, you know, neighborhood it seems all safe, but he finds ways to almost, yeah, do a dark, suspenseful twist. Well, I, th like, I think that's the scariest, like, way that, or, like, uh, scariest scenario, I guess, in, you know, something like horror, is when you're just in broad daylight. Because you expect, mm. you know, the ghosts and the killers and whatever to come out at night. But when it's broad daylight, when you're somewhere that feels safe and then it happens... That's the scariest. Like, that's why the first Halloween movie did so good. Because, like, Michael Myers is just out there in the middle of the daytime in the safe neighborhood. Like, that's when it gets the scariest. So, yeah. I think that's Hitchcock putting it out in the daylight, like you said. Putting a suspense in the daylight. Like, that's, it's a great um, way to tell a story. <laughs> it's a great way to create that suspense in a different, in a way that we're not yeah. used to. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Mm -hmm. Like seeing the stereotypical horror movies, like I feel like, yeah, 
he does a great job of exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's fun. It makes you want, like, as a writer to, yeah, like, again, I love that you said think about locations because, yeah, you can then just find the suspense um, in what whatever scenario you want to put your characters in. Um, yeah. So, and does that... Would you say that correlates, Jeffrey, to the transitions? And I want to get a little bit in post-production, too, because you touched that um, a lot of it, kind of the magic, I and I know this, too, with editing, kind of happens in the editing room. Right. And the people that I talk to, and this is, I found this as well, um, they say that with suspense films, it's really tough to to know if it's working while you're shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's scary. <laughs> it is scary. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, in fact, the, I was talking to the editor of Born Identity, um, and he said that a lot of that film was created in the editing room, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that they didn't really know this was going to work until they started piecing it together. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, because that's when, you know, that's when you start to feel the tension Mm -hmm. and it all starts to come together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because, you know, most of the time you're shooting out of order too. So like that whole build that happens throughout the scenes, you don't get to see or feel that until the editing room. So that's something, yeah, like you said, Carolina, it's very scary, but it's, you wouldn't even think about until you go and shoot a film your your first time, you know, and, but it's such a vital part of the story. So yeah, that that's, something to think about for brand new filmmakers like don't be discouraged (laughs) you know if you're not feeling it there on set um but yeah the magic just happens in the editing room and it also makes it even more important to plan ahead and really know what you're doing as well so absolutely you know these things will work even though they don't feel like they're working on the set and when the actors don't feel like they're working on the set, because oftentimes the actor um, is left out of that process, you know, that they don't understand, you know, where the suspense is going to be coming from in this scene because they're focused on the characters and all of that. So, mm-hmm. Exactly. That's something that's been really amazing for me as an actor is learning editing and directing um, because I'm able to understand what we're looking for in the shot. Um, from the producing editor side and why maybe holding this emotion is like important and just trusting (laughs) Um, because I understand like what the director is looking for in that sense. But when you aren't and um, in that position, I guess back to what you were saying, you are in the director's chair alone. Um, Yeah. I think prep is a huge thing and Um, But it is scary to know that you can't, it can feel off. Is there any tips on how to, with great prep, how to keep the tension high, like on set or like building that more clearly in the process? Well, I think, well, I think it goes back to really being able to see the edit as you're shooting it as Mm -hmm. a director so that you're not yeah. just shooting coverage. You're not just shooting random angles that you're actually seeing it being pieced together as you're shooting it. So that by the time you get to the editing room, you see it in your head, you know how it's going to be pieced together already. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that helps. But um, yeah. And then there's also the problem of when you're in the editing, um, 
the suspense will most likely dissipate for you as a viewer Mm -hmm. because you've seen it so many times. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. after you've seen the edit like a hundred times, you don't feel anything. So you're like, you start to question (laughs) that suspense. Is it working? You know, it it kind of felt good the first time I saw it, but is it, is it really that good? So you start to doubt yourself. So it's just, it can be a a really tough process. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, that's probably the time where you bring in like a test audience or, you know, Mm -hmm. to see how it's going to play. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that. It's such yeah. a strong emotion or the emotions that come from suspense are such strong emotions and it's so subjective. You know, everybody's going to respond differently to things. So, yeah, that's why like you said test audiences are so important because you get to see how other people respond, you know, and it's not even just about like, oh, I've seen this over and over. It's also just, you might just respond, react differently to suspense than other people. You know, it goes back to what we were saying before, like how some people love being scared and some people get anxiety from it. And I think probably even another thing, like the instinctual reaction to suspense is you know, when you see somebody doing something stupid in a horror movie and you're yelling at the screen and you're like, don't go upstairs, you idiot. You know, that's where he's going to follow you to. Like, I think that's kind of a cathartic release, too, for people that, you know, some people just love, like, knowing the answer and being like, don't do it, you stupid. You know, like, that's that's something that some other people enjoy with suspense, too. So it's kind of cool that there's so many different ways that people can react to it. Yeah, that's true. And that was kind of the genius of Hitchcock is mm-hmm. that he loved to create that frustration in the viewer um, <laughs> and just, and just, you know, the audience really wants to reach in and, and change things, but they can't, they really wish they could yeah. um, to, to warn, you know, um, uh, the woman across the, you know, the apartment complex in rear window, um, you know, he's coming, he's, he's coming down the hallway you better get out of that apartment. Um, but you can't, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do as the audience to prevent that from happening. And that's frustrating, <laughs> yeah. but it's also fun. Yeah. It's a fun frustration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what you're doing with this book is so great because, you know, all of these things that we're talking about, the emotional response to suspense and stuff, it's kind of, subjective or meta or you know however you want to think about it but you're putting like the um how do I want to say this like the method to the madness you know you're showing how you can step by step objectively achieve these subjective feelings if that makes sense and I think that that's such an important thing for especially beginner filmmakers that maybe you know you know what you want to create but you don't know how to get there Carolina, I'm so glad we started using Vitafair. Should we tell the FemFam about it? Absolutely, Tessa. I mean, we were able to upload our short film for less than $6, and we can charge whatever we want for a 24-hour rental. That's right. We could have charged 20 bucks per view if we wanted, but we decided to go with their micro-pricing model, which makes it a fair price for viewers and still makes us more money than the competitors that only pay out cents per hour of viewing instead of per rental. Plus, our audience doesn't have to pay for a subscription. It's really a win-win for both sides. Fair trade film monetization. Vidafair. Live in fairness with video. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a really good point. Um, that so much of filmmaking is emotional and subjective mm -hmm. and instinct. So you know kind of the feelings you want to create, but you don't really know how to get there. And, and you know, the biggest mistake is to start, you know, creating that dark hallway with, you know, the creepy music, because yeah. that's kind of the expected cliche way of doing it. Yeah. But is that the most effective way to do it? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Probably not for your story. It's probably not for your romantic comedy, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I, you have a segment um, just going back to romantic comedy stuff on comedy and tension and how they work together. And I really love that whole idea. I want you to talk a little bit about it, but just on, on a note for what I've been trying to do in my script, uh, Tessa and I are working on our first feature film. It's going to be a psychological thriller, but I think uh, I've started to learn that even as a viewer, I enjoy like kind of the comedy and some of the moments are writing, especially with character. It could be either the writing or character traits that you kind of play some comedic releases with because it's tension is fun but it's also more fun when you have a moment to breathe and then come back and yeah, like feel yeah. everything in the room so do you want to speak to that a little bit more well sure I mean I guess the first thing we have to do is kind of differentiate between tension and suspense because um they're different feelings um so you know a lot of times right. they're kind of uh used interchangeably or they're confused with one another uh, mm -hmm. tension, um, there's two different types of tension, really. Uh, so, you know, in the kind of a traditional sense that tension is the actors talking back and forth. So it's the dramatic tension. You know, it's the same kind of tension you get on stage. Um, you know, the right. traditional dialogue. That's tension. That's dramatic tension. There's also cinematic tension, which is tension that you impose onto the scene uh, by way of the camera choices and the editing and the music and all of that. So it's, you know, it's all these, these kind of artistic things that you impose into the scene that create tension. Um, but the difference between that and suspense is that tension is more of an immediate feeling. Uh, it's kind of a step-by-step -step, uh, feeling as you go through from moment to moment. Uh -huh. um, and in my book, I use uh, the example of a, a man on a tightrope mm -hmm. and he's walking across uh, the tightrope. So the tension is actually his feet stepping one by one carefully across that rope. Mm -hmm. um, but the suspense is not coming from that. The suspense is actually the overall question. Will he fall? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, is he going to fall? And so each time he steps, and especially when he almost trips or he starts to wobble, then that evokes that suspense question, is he going to fall? So throughout this entire scene, the suspense is building, is he going to fall? And the tension is sort of answering those questions moment by moment or provoking those questions of suspense. So that's the difference between the two. No, great example. Like that, yeah, that that you really tangible to how the tension keeps building too as he wobbles, and like those are choices, and then the that we can write and create to make 
but the overall question like then because the suspense is that question that keeps coming coming as you're like checking in on it i love that yeah so you're actually using the tension to enhance the suspense you're yeah, making yeah. the suspense feel stronger just by using that tension and so the way comedy comes into this is that um, if you've gone through the process of creating suspense through the three steps, which we might get into uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, once you have the suspense and you've got the audience hanging on, um, you can go too far with it and they can get bored pretty easily. Um, <laughs> and especially if it's a, a, a very dark subject like, you know, a, a dead body or something like that. Um, humor is the way to balance that feeling of boredom. It, it kind of, uh, it like you said, it releases that tension and then you can laugh about it, but that doesn't release the suspense. Um, it's more of a, it's more of a balance with tension. It's like a roller coaster. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen my latest documentary on Hitchcock on YouTube, um, mm. but I go through um, a pretty good example of how a roller coaster is really uh, similar to that balance between tension and comedy mm -hmm. in that on the way down, it's comedy on the way up, it's tension. Yeah. <laughs> and so throughout the scene, you want to go up and down constantly. Uh, and that's what uh, you're putting the audience on a ride. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. I was going to say, unless you're mean, you're just screaming your head off the whole time. And it's just, <laughs> there's, there's that. Um, so but you that's... don't like roller coasters and you don't like haunted houses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I scream through both the entire time, <laughs> which could be comedic to the person sit, like standing or sitting next to me. It depends on, you know, yeah. how, if there, there's any ear damage at all. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's very much so. Um, but we, I can understand that, that feeling of like anticipation too, as you're going up. Like, and then, and you feel that once, once you hit the bottom too, you do have like a sense of calm. You're like, okay, I made, I mean, we yeah. made it through that hurdle, but then we're going to do it again. And <laughs> I'm probably already screaming at that point. Um, <laughs> um, so with comedy is then, I, well, I just want to point out, reiterate that one fact again, that I found myself too, sometimes in like, some of the episodic series that are out um, that sometimes the tension is just so overwhelming that like I either have to like be ready for it or it does maybe create a sense of boredom because I guess, yeah, you're like you said, you're not having that release. So I do think that's important to, I like, I enjoy it more when there is more of a flow and like um, I love uh, right now. One of my favorite shows is, um, Succession on HBO. There's so much tension and suspense. Um, the tension is the dialogue that that's a great example again. Um, and there is constant humor and jabbing at one another, but with the humor, you're always like the suspense is, well, who's going to become the next Roy, um, CEO of the company. Like, and, and you're always like, did they, did they, are they, or did the deal close? Like whomever they're speaking with, or like, are the, is the deal closed? We're like, and with the comedy and the tension in the dialogue, you never know. You still are like hanging on the edge of your chair. Like, I don't know if they sealed the deal or if this person's actually going to get ahead because it's just unclear. And that's what keeps you watching. You're like, I want to know if he ends up being like, you know, gets defeated or gets to be promoted, you know? 
the whole time with all the characters. They're all trying to like battle each other and climb the ladder. So I don't know if anyone has watched that, but it's great. <laughs> um, it's a great example. Um, but no, let's go into what we were talking about, the three uh, mm -hmm. steps to creating suspense. And what, yeah, what are they, Jeffrey? Okay, well, the, the first one is uh, a secret. Um, and this can be anything, really. This can be, you know, like um, you've just won the lottery and you don't want to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's your secret. And if that's your protagonist, um, then if other characters are getting close to finding that out, then that's where suspense can be created. Um, but it's, it's really a secret um, that the audience knows, um, that the protagonist knows, and nobody else in the movie knows. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really where you start. And kind of the basic... Um, the basic structure of this is that that character then lies to another character about it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the audience is in on it. It's like, okay, he just lied. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not good. So then the audience feels like they're in on the secret as well. So you form this bond with the audience mm -hmm. um, and you kind of create empathy at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that to me has always been, I think, a great directing tool um, is telling your actor like, you know, the secret or what their secret is so that they can like, like harbor that and mm. keep that within in the scene without letting the other person know. Um, like it could be like a small thing. So I love that even in the bigger sense of storytelling, it's there for the audience to, to catch on. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. really that's really great. Yeah. So that's step one. Yeah. And, you know, soap operas did really good at this too. So it's like hiding a pregnancy or hiding an affair. <laughs> and so that secret then gets kind of stretched out over many episodes. And so that's why you get addicted to watching because right. you're waiting for the secret to get out, you know? Um, uh, and so, yeah. so that's really leads into the second step is creating those close call moments where the secret almost gets mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. um, and you can have as many of these as you want in your film um, or TV series. It can be a short, um, you know, part of your movie, or it can stretch out through the whole movie, like uh, you've got mail. In that, the every time you have a close call, um, it gets the audience more addicted to hanging on to it because mm -hmm. it's like a, it's it's like um, the near miss effect in gambling. Um, so that when a gambler almost wins, um, he feels like he's getting closer <laughs> yeah. to winning. Mm -hmm. He's on a winning streak now because he almost won. So he's, he's even more addicted to, to spinning that wheel. And so in the same way, your audience gets addicted to watching the movie because, you know, they're really starting to, uh, anticipate, you know, is the secret going to get out? And then, of course, it doesn't because in the close call scenario, you never want that secret to actually get out because it's all about teasing the audience and then giving them that sense of relief that, oh, okay, <laughs> it didn't get out. Yeah. So we're okay. safe for now. So, you know, really building those close call scenes, that's really the key to creating suspense. So if you go back to any Hitchcock film, 
uh, all of those moments, you know, the, that we talked about in rear window or North by Northwest or anything, it's really about those close calls. And the key to it is that the other characters don't know the secret, but they're kind of stumbling into it. Like at mm-hmm. any point they might figure it out, mm-hmm. but, and, you know, the more comedically, uh, you know, um, incompetent those characters are, <laughs> the, more, <laughs> yeah. the more suspenseful it can be as well. It's so dangerous too. I think, um, like building that, um, uh, connection with your audience of like, you know, they know some secrets, but the characters don't and building that suspense. And then like, it's so easy to disappoint an audience, especially in something that's like a episodic series that's going and going and going. I mean, you look at like Pretty Little Liars. I didn't personally watch it, but I know a lot of people were really disappointed in the ending because it's the whole suspense the entire time was like, who is this killer? Who is A? I think they named her or whatever. And then like in the very end, everybody was like, that's the answer. Like I just waited this years to find that out, you know, or like you look at the show lost. I mean, that was on for years and years. And like, it was so much more exciting when you didn't know anything about the Island and then you start learning more about it. And you know, it's, there's that different kind of tension. And then everybody's like, wait, that's all that it meant in the end. That feels like it was all a dream. And you know, like it's, it's so, that sucks. yeah, it's easy to disappoint an audience. So that's something you have to be really careful with when you're building that connection and building that trust and building that suspense is don't let them down in the end. Yeah. And that really comes into step three too, because Step three is basically about the surprise twist mm. so that when you've, you know, been leading the audience along all this time, um, you don't want to disappoint them with the kind of the expected ending, like, yeah. or the, you know, the kind of ending you really, really isn't all that exciting. So I, I kind of, uh, I compare it to a, a magician with um, a coin trick mm-hmm. so that, um, the magician has the coin in one of his hands and you think it's in the left hand and then it turns out to be in the right hand. And so that's the trick. And as you're, you know, as the audience of that trick, you enjoy that trick. You like being fooled. Yeah. You like that feeling of being fooled. Um, and it's the same way in, uh, directing as well. Um, because once you've, you know, built up the audience with these close calls, um, find, finding a way of doing it in a surprise of releasing that suspense in a surprise way at the last moment. Um, that's just as fun, um, as that magic trick. So you really have to find a way to do that in a clever twist. Mm -hmm. That's, that's always the hardest part. I feel like what in writing is yeah. is the twist and yeah. making sure will you explain to everyone what a red herring is um because like setting up those those red herrings and moments leading up to the twist too really either make or break it mm-hmm. yeah so that's kind of like um you know a, a rat in a maze so that uh you've designed this maze and there's only one exit but there's also other ways to get lost in the maze. Um, And so a red herring is kind of, uh, you know, one of those 
uh, rabbit holes that you get lost in um, when you're looking for the exit. So you're tricking the audience um, and leading them down the wrong path, getting them suspicious about the wrong person or exactly. yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's the red herring. And oftentimes um, when it's really, you know, when it's realized that that was a, a red herring, then uh, that could be the surprise twist. Yeah, I love that you said that. I was just going to say, and that yeah. could even be your surprise twist is you thought it was this person all along. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out the other guy is the bad yeah. guy. Um, it's really fun to throw those at audiences and see them fall for it. <laughs> because like, yeah. I used to as an actor, I used to do murder mystery dinner theater. And that was always like every single script had a red herring that was just like part of the formula, you know, and it's just fun to see who falls for it, who doesn't and how they react when they realize they fell for it and, you know, all of that. So I think that's fun as a storyteller to see your audience react to that. Yeah. And that's the one thing that your audience is going to remember Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is how they were tricked so cleverly in the end. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was trying to think of the the murder mystery. I love that you said gave the murder mystery example, um, Tessa, but mm-hmm. what was that film two years ago that came out that was like really based on like... Uh, Knives Out? Yes, Knives Out. Perfect example that we all think it's this one person, character, and then it was like completely like, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's a great example of like setting up um, different... Uh, red herrings and if you're interested in mystery it kind of really yeah I think had a really great twist Mm -hmm. and a lot of people loved it for that reason um but then what how do you feel about ambiguous endings Jeffrey (laughs) talk to us about that what's your opinion on them uh well uh I I don't have an opinion on it really uh I think it depends on the story, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the answer you always go back to. It depends on the story and what you what you want your audience to feel and what you want them to be thinking about when the movie's over. Um, in a suspense kind of a movie, you want some kind of closure of some form. Of so some that, form, right. Yeah. Um, but it's always fun to, to kind of leave things open. Yeah, that's how I think um, Tessa and I like those movies a lot. But I agree. I do enjoy that. Like, I have some sense of like closure mm-hmm. in in the end, um, whether it's like even more so an emotional one versus then then I can sit and think about what the outcome is on my own, like based off of what I saw, mm-hmm. come up with it myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you have to also think about if you've if you have a lot of close calls. Mm-hmm. and you never relieve that yeah yeah the that's audience frustrating is, the audience <laughs> is gonna be really mad at you yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's a, a great thing to point out um is there is a like a way to do it to where you don't piss everyone off yeah i mean that's kind of yeah. the takeaway in all of this it's like uh torture your audience a little bit <laughs> but don't <laughs> piss them off <laughs> oh and another thing is just like the continuous like I, the first example that comes out to me is Atomic Blonde, 
I just hated the like the multiple twist ending. Like don't like to me that I don't don't do that. <laughs> like where you keep having a twist at the last like thirty minutes of watching or twenty minutes, and you're like, okay, wait, who did it? Like what? And then I don't even understand the setup because there's just twist after twist. Um, I'm I personally don't they feel like that strategy works very well. <laughs> It's an overload, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's something to to definitely think about. Um, well, yeah. yeah. But it also yeah. depends on if it's a short film or, also, you know, a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a short film, there's a little more kind of, uh, there's more abbreviation mm-hmm. in that kind of storytelling. Um, and so leaving things up for guessing is more acceptable in that way. It makes me, it reminds me of Hitchcock's TV episodes Mm -hmm. where they're only 20 minutes long. And oftentimes, um, he didn't have an ending that was on the screen. He implied the ending. So I'm thinking of one, um, where, um, a man has killed his wife and, uh, hidden Mm -hmm. the body into the trunk of his car and he's driving down the highway and the policeman pulls him over. Um, not because there's a body in the trunk, but just because he has a, a taillight that's burned out. Yeah. So uh, the suspense throughout the whole episode is about fixing this taillight mm-hmm. um, and whether <laughs> the policeman is going to catch on and find this body by accident. Yeah, and right. So it turns out that he never does. But the final shot after they fix the light and everything's OK, the final shot of the episode is the taillight is starting to blink again. <laughs> and so the taillight's going out again. And so it kind of, uh, it makes you assume that he's he's not going to get away from, the, he's not going to get away with this. Right. He's going to get caught. And uh, we don't need I to show that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, yeah, it kind of, the foreshadowing of this isn't over. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, there is a real art to, um uh, how you use the suspense based on the length of of what you're making. You know, like you said, a short film versus a feature and also, you know, yeah. an episodic series. It's like each episode is its own thing, but then the series as a whole builds, you know, that whole arc and like it's a, it's a lot to think about. But it's interesting that it isn't just the same for every type of storytelling medium. It's different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, awesome. Jeffrey, this has been yeah. really cool. I really enjoy talking um, to you about all of this because I, Carolina has been reading your book. Um, I'm going to read it after her, so I haven't had a chance yet, but just to hear how it, how to, like I said, objectively create this subjective feeling. It's really cool mm-hmm. that we're able to do that as storytellers. And because suspense is such a thing that people just have such a strong reaction to. So that's, that's really awesome. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today about this and to our audience. Um, I would love for our audience to, um, A, obviously they can go out and find your book and read it, recommend that for sure. But is there a way that they can connect further with you? Um, just, yeah, anything you want to share social media wise, website, any of that sort of stuff. Okay, well, I'm on Twitter at Borges Film. Uh, you can go to my website at borges.com, B-O-R-G-U-S.com. Uh, you can watch my free uh, documentary, uh, documentary series on Hitchcock's uh, TV episodes. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. So that's on YouTube? 
Yeah, that's called Hitch 20 and just search for Hitch 20. Okay. And uh, so it, it's the 20 episodes that he directed for television. Oh, um, nice. And we sort of pick those apart. And it's a group of filmmakers that sort of analyze all of his techniques. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And then I have a documentary about his techniques that I just released a few months ago. That's also on YouTube. Okay. Uh, and yeah, the book is uh, still available. So uh, be sure to check that out as well. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I haven't fully finished reading your book, but from what I can tell, you really hit on like the, the different areas of suspense, even down to like, again, we, we spoke a bit on it on our show today, the visual, but also like in the editing music, like all the different moments, guys. So for our listeners, I, it's, it's a really great resources. I'm excited to finish it because I just, there's more for me to digest and understand, but I just love that you hit on all of that because there's just so much going on and so much ways to create the tension, like what we talked about on the show. So I hope uh, they get, they, they are excited to like read more about what we even just spoke on, on the show. Um, cause yeah, you definitely go into it way more <laughs> deeper yeah. and I, and I, and I think it's going to really set someone up, um, well, when they're writing and directing and thinking about the shots that are so important. Yeah. It's one of those books that you don't realize you need, <laughs> Yeah, but you're really glad you had it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, your, your, your language and the way you write is really friendly and like just easy to digest too. So it's not some super heady like film like anyone can pick it up and understand yeah. it so I, I really appreciate that it's you don't have to have like all this film background um for our beginner filmmakers who are tuning in you know and and for someone who is more advanced um you you very much get a lot out of it and I love all the different definitions so no thank you Jeffrey I think it's a it's a really great book and I'm so glad we were able to have you on our show and talk about it yeah sure it's been great thanks for having me Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.